Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hi there, localists. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. My name is Christy, and as every day, I am your host today. And today we are continuing with my story, also called Quit Your Job and Move to Key West. Yeah, you're crazy like me if you think that's as, that's all the story is. It's not. It's so much more than that. But what I'm doing is I'm sharing you my story um, I'm catching you up, so to speak, of what has happened since June of 2013. On June 13, 2014, I left my six-figure job and moved to Key West and am trying to rebuild my income and my job and build a business. My job is going to be my business. So um, I am telling you about my journey and all the mistakes I've made. Um, what I'm doing, I'm setting up a food cart at the world-famous Sunset Celebration at Mallory Square. It's a simple concept. It's not rocket science at all. And um, it's, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's, you, can, you can tell by what I have gone through that it's uh, still got a lot of potential to fail, and it's still got a lot of bumps in the road. So just to recap, the reason I'm doing the food cart, I need something with a relatively low cost of entry. By the time it is done, and my I'm getting my cart rebuilt right now because what I had had a lot of rotten wood and just wasn't holding up. So I'm getting it rebuilt. So by the time it's all said and done with my final, hopefully my final incarnation of what I'm going to be doing, I will probably have about $8,000, five to $8,000 invested. I've still got some final costs that haven't been um, assessed yet that I'll need to be doing. But it's, um, it's a small startup amount compared to trying to go out and get a location and start a, uh, you know, big lease on a building and get a physical location and hire employees and get computers and all that. You can't, can't really do that for five to $8,000, I don't think, in most areas. I needed something I could do without, do without having to get employees. I need something I could do myself. So at this point, yes, it's a business, but it's essentially I'm buying myself a job for the moment. And so I needed it to generate immediate cash. And that is something that I could do every single day down at Mallory Square. And I needed it with very little infrastructure. You I didn't need a building. I didn't need to go through building renovations or, uh, you know, any of that kind of thing. I didn't need to set up computer systems and point of sale systems and all that. Although I did um, set up, I do use Square for my uh, cart, my food cart, and I accept uh, credit card payments, which um, I find that tourists uh, many times appreciate because they run low on cash. And it's great that they can have the option of paying with a credit card. So that's to tell you why I did the food cart. I talked about this in the first episode, the first part of this uh, story that I'm telling you. My mistakes. Oh, there are too many to list. I'm going to probably end up with several episodes. This is actually part three. So, so far I've made enough mistakes to fill up three episodes. Hopefully we'll get, be getting to the end of my mistakes and then I will be able to keep you abreast of my ongoing activities and what I'm doing to try to get my business off the ground. Um, one of the things that um, I talked about, and I'm just going to go through my list of mistakes. I underestimated the time it took to get my license and registration. Thought I was going to be up and running in 30 days. It took me more than 60 days. Then I didn't fully understand what the tourist season was because I started at the exact time that the tourist season was pretty much ending. So Again, 60 days in, 
30 days beyond what I thought where I could be making money and I'm still not making money because now I've got the six, four to six weeks of low lowest tourist season tourist season of the year so again a further delay so the whole thing about time and they say it takes you twice as long to do what you think you're going to do and it costs you twice as much money is probably exactly dead on for what um what i've experienced i didn't understand uh the the market down there uh, i didn't understand what people were looking for i also did not properly test my products in the environment and realize that the original idea that I started with caramel apples was not going to hold up in the heat. I also overestimated the ease of selling the product. Um, there is a fallacy that I had that I thought if you put something in front of, you know, to three to 5,000 tourists in a given night and I only needed to capture, you know, I only needed like 30, 30 people to buy something from me in order to make my living, uh, that still didn't happen, and so I estimated, uh, underestimated how hard it would be to sell products down there, what types of products would sell down there. I also overpurchased my supplies, and I had inflated projections of how much business I would do. So all of those, I'm ticking all the boxes of the mistakes I have made. And so what I wanted to tell you about um, today is I left off yesterday with the fact that I had decided that my kebabs and grilled corn were not going to be enough year-round. And I'm looking for something that gives me, you know, pretty much 11 solid months of income. And if I have to have a reduced amount during September when it's the low season, I will have planned for that. And so um, I'm looking for that product, that thing that is going to be sustainable day after day, month after month, year after year down there. Like I told you, there are people that have been down there selling the same thing for 26 years. And um, I don't want to be stuck into the same mold for 26 years, but I definitely want to get a product that if I needed it to be my mainstay for my income, I could do that. And so after talking and deciding that my kebabs and grilled corn were not going to do it, my mentor suggested that I do french fries because they're universal and people always understand what they are. They're always a great um, thing to eat. And it's also a great food for people who are drinking a lot uh, because sometimes you know you have to apparently balance the amount of food you eat with the uh, amount of alcohol you're doing in order to completely end up not remembering anything. Um, and so it's actually a good um, food for that as well. So, uh, so I decided to go ahead and get what I needed and, of course, being that uh, French fries are, are fryer-type food, I needed to buy fryers, and I needed to um, figure this whole thing out about how I would do my French fries. I also decided, in addition to doing French fries, someone down there already sells key lime pie. And I wasn't wanting to sell key lime pie, but what I was wanting to do is create an experience food, a food that somebody would say, oh my gosh, look, they have that and I've never tried it before. Here I am on vacation and I'm here and I'm going to try that because I've never tried it before. Right? I want to know what that tastes like. So I was going to do a deep fried key lime pie. There are a couple of restaurants throughout the Keys that sell it and none of them are in Key West. And so I worked on my recipes and I bought the things that I need to do to do French fries, also realizing that those same fryers could be utilized for um, the deep fried key lime pie. So I got everything. I started testing and figuring out how I was going to do the French fries. And 
To be honest, um, I was a little concerned about having a mobile unit with hot grease and would the grease be able to cool down in time for me to uh, pour it into another container for transport. I mean, there were a few logistical things like that that I was a little bit concerned about. Also, um, one thing I had to be concerned about with the key lime pie is that in order for it not just turn to complete mush and make a big mess, it needed to stay completely frozen up until the moment it was sold. And so you would essentially, it would be frozen, you'd make the pie, then you'd freeze it, uh, cut it into whatever size servings you were serving it in, and then the minute someone would buy it, you would take it out of the freezer, dip it in the batter, right into the fryer, just enough, enough time for the batter to um, turn golden brown. And inside, although it would not still be frozen, it would still be cold. And so you get the, you know, you get the differences in temperatures and textures and the, the batter, um, over the, the kind of tart of the key lime. And it was, it was a good combination. So in order to do that, I was also going to have to figure out a way to keep everything frozen in, uh, on my food cart. So I had to add some, not just refrigeration, but actually a freezer. So I went through all this and of course you have to, you know, I had to go through and get the fryers and that sort of thing because I have to take it down to the jury and the participation committee to jury. Here I am, you know, I'm like the, the, the person that won't go away. I keep coming back with things and ideas and they're probably tired of seeing me down there about every time a jury meets. But, um, I took it down there and I set up and I started making my French fries. I started making my fried, deep fried key lime pie and Everybody loved the food. It was great. And I was, what I was most excited about is that I was going to be able to make the French fries, but I was also going to be able to keep expanding, um, the sauces. And so I was, you know, I had done some research and I had come up with like four or five different sauces that would be really great to have for the French fries that would appeal to a lot of different, um, you know, styles of food, whether, you know, you wanted the chili, uh, spicy chili sauce or a sweet chili sauce and the chipotle and then the, you know, the blue cheese kind of thing, almost like buffalo wing type sauce. And, you know, there were several different things and I had researched them all and I was like, uh, I, I was going to kill it with the sauces and got down to jury and everyone tried my food and they loved it. And they started talking about my food. And at that point in time in the conversation, one of the jury members and the participation committee members happened to say, oh, I forgot, don't, don't we have a rule about no more fryers? Of course, this made my ears perk up because I'm like, what do you mean no more fryers? I mean, there's a guy doing conch fritters down there. He, what, what is he using if he's not using a fryer? I mean, is he, is he pressure fry? What is he doing, you know? So, they said, well, yeah, he uses a fryer, but he's grandfathered in because he's one of the people that have been down there nearly 30 years. And he was grandfathered in to this. And I'm like, well, maybe if this is a rule, it's clearly because you know how it is with business. There's no rules until thing, people start doing things that cause the rules to be written. And so what happened is I thought, well, you know what, I, if it's a matter of cleanup, because it's like, you know, if somebody drops a greasy fry on the floor and then it's a paver, uh, beautiful paver type uh, pier down there and they've, you know, got pavers along the way. And the last thing you want is since most of the day the pier is wide open and then at night we come in with our food carts two hours before sunset till two hours after sunset, what you don't want is for there to be, whenever the pier is clear, you don't want to see 
the traces of where the food carts were. You don't want to see the grease tracks from one cart to another. And, you know, at the same time, some other vendors that vend um, have different art type things down there or T-shirts or other fabric things don't like people coming through with fingers that are greasy from eating fried foods. And, and so there were all these what I could perceive as potential objections. And my thought was, you know, if I can go to in front of the board of the Cultural Preservation Society, and I can, you know, my thing is don't just wait until people do something to make a rule and you do it because you don't want anyone else doing what they just did. But be proactive and set the expectations. You know, if you need me as a food vendor to do some sort of cleaning or to to have some sort of ownership in keeping the area pristine, then tell me what my expectations are. Not just that, make me sign off on them. And if I don't abide by them, then you have some teeth in whatever the punishment is, whether I need to not be allowed to be down there anymore. And so that was that was my point is that, you know, if you need me to sign a contract with a professional cleaning company that will come in and clean my six by eight foot square, you know, once a month so that grease doesn't build up or whatever it is, I will do what I need to do to preserve the environment. I'm not against that at all. At the same time, the same rules that apply to me should also apply to everyone else. So there's the kind of the dichotomy of all these things that I was thinking about, about what, you know, what should be expected of me or what they should do. And so we decided that we would go before the board of the Cultural Preservation Society to try to get me a waiver um, to be allowed to bring in oil and another, another frying thing. And apparently um, the objections you know, besides the, the greasy fingers, which, I mean, I can't control the customers. I mean, customers could walk by with a drink or a beer or whatever and spill it on any of these things. And the bottom line is if you don't want your product uh, exposed to people's uh, incidents, then you package it in such a way that it could not be harmed. And so, um, but but people sometimes aren't willing to do that, especially when they've been there 30 years and you're coming in brand new. Why should they make accommodations for you? So this is what I'm dealing with. So anyway, um, it's kind of, it's humorous whenever I talk about it from a, a business perspective. But anyway, one of the things that um, I got a call right before the board meeting was going to be two days after I had met with the participation committee. And um, my mentor said, Christy, there's just... There's nothing that we're going to be able to do to change their mind. And the reason is, is because there's a lawsuit, an ongoing lawsuit that's been being battled out for about five years now. And it has to do with grease and somebody, I guess, was injured or something to do with the grease down there. And so if they let me come in with a new, uh, being a new vendor with grease and with a fryer, then I would undo everything they had been fighting for in these last five years and essentially hand the lawsuit over to the people they were fighting it against. And so I just, um, I realized that was not a, it wasn't going to be a viable thing. And I, you know, it made me a little bit upset because, you know, my, my mentor should have known. I mean, she should have remembered that that's one of the rules. And I even ask at that point in time, I'm like, okay, if there are these rules about this that no one can seem to remember, where are all these rules documented? Can you please give me access or give me a document that shows where all these rules are? And again, you're talking about a volunteer organization where the board changes every couple of years. Um, 
people that are not necessarily uh, schooled in the running of organizations or nonprofits or whatever are the ones in charge. And so there's sometimes a lack of depth of the documentation or even the procedures to um, distribute that documentation and make sure that everyone that's participating is aware of the rules and what you should and should not be doing and that sort of thing. So that, these are some of the issues that I'm dealing with. And so um, my mentor you know, clearly should have known and it would have saved me probably about $350 by the time it was all said and done when I had to buy all the things that I was going to buy in order to do the french fries and the deep fried key lime pie. So now I've gone through three incarnations of products. Some actually made it down to the pier and I tried them and they the market wasn't there for them. Others, I like the french fries, I couldn't even get past the participation committee in order to get down to the pier. So french fries were quickly out. I never even made it down to the pier with them because of the oil situation. And I realized I was going to be limited in what I'm doing. And if I can't add anything to do with oil, I mean, when you, when you add oil and you have fryers, you really open up a whole different, you know, you open up a whole world of things that could be made. I mean, it could be donuts, it could be beignets, you could make funnel cakes, you could, I mean, tons of things you can make. And a lot of them are not being made down there right now because there's only one person that is allowed to do fryers. And I guess when that person finally decides to throw in the towel after 30 years or, you know, whatever the case may be, then there will be no, <laughs> no grease at the Mallory Square. Uh, and it's funny because even my mentor said to me to have a festival type or fair type atmosphere and not have anything deep fried is complete anathema. And I completely agree. But maybe by that time, the lawsuit will be settled and a new uh, board will be in place. And maybe we can make some proactive rules rather than reactive rules and set procedures in place to preserve everything that's going on down there. So anyway, so I was back to the drawing board and, you know, there, there are some innate problems with being down at Mallory Square. And when I say problems, I don't mean, you know, problems that are not over, uh, able to be overcome, but I mean there are some things that I definitely need to consider. Um, the first issue that I needed to be concerned about with whatever my next thing was going to be is that that traffic that's down at Mallory Square is not my traffic. It's not, it's Mallory Square traffic. I don't own that traffic. You know, if you have a business and you have a brick and mortar business and you open your doors, everyone that comes through your door, that's your traffic. You own that traffic and not, you don't own the people, but that's your traffic. And um, I don't own that traffic at Mallory Square. People aren't down there specifically to see me. They're down there to see the sunset and the show is the sunset and the rest of the environment. And I'm just sort of on the periphery of that. And so I needed to figure out something that I could potentially move, not move out of Mallory Square, but run in conjunction with Mallory Square that could potentially tap into the local market. Because if I could get my own customers to purchase my product, then that is exactly where I would want to be. And if something ever happened down at Mallory Square, then I would still have another source of business and another source of income. I also... Um, needed to figure out a way to develop something that I could build a following. 
I want to build something where I can have a following on social media. Uh, many, many people all across the country, no matter where you live, come to Key West for vacation. I think there's something about like 4 million visitors a year come to Key West, whether it's through the tour boats, uh, the cruises that come in, or whether it's just flying down or driving down and taking a vacation. So we have a lot of tourist traffic. And so it would be easy not easy. I say I say easy like a it's it's easy, but it's not. <laughs> it would be it would make sense, I should say, to do something that would build a social media following so that even the people that are not here all the time could feel plugged in and feel like they're kind of back at Mallory Square. I also wanted to do something where I could build user engagement and brand recognition. Now, I am not a branding expert. I do have some friends that are in marketing and have built their own agencies that are branding experts. So I'm going to be borrowing some of their brains and borrowing some of their ideas and doing all I can to research um, anything I can do about my brand. So after um, scouring the Internet, my partner and I have come up with... Um, Something that's just absolutely crazy. And you're going to think I'm crazy for saying this, and you're going to think I'm crazy for doing it, but it's what I'm doing. And actually, um, I've gotten I've gotten everything approved, so I'm on track to be able to roll this out and launch this very quickly. Um, my What I realized is that you have to, um, if you look, let me just back up a little bit and say, if you look at the history, you can find a lot on the Internet from over the years about these famous people that that have been famous down at Mallory Square. Now, you can hear, sometimes you'll see threads on different, you know, uh, places talking about, does anybody remember the banana bread man? Does anybody remember Noodle Man? Does anybody remember, you know, these were these characters that showed up every night at Mallory Square and gave people an experience. And I want to have the product that people will come for and I want to have the product that they walk away from making their purchase and they take a selfie. Um, I want to have a product that they tweet about and I want to have a product that they share on social media. So we came up with um, something that I'm calling Cryopop. C-R-Y-O-P-O-P. Cryopop. And what it is, I make caramel corn. I am a huge popcorn um I don't want to say addict because I don't have to have it every day. But it's really, it's a better, definitely a better day if I have popcorn every day. But I love making popcorn, and I think the best $20 I ever spent was buying a Whirly Pop. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's just, instead of, uh, you know, I don't, I do not do microwave popcorn. That is, is just wrong to me. I can't stand the way it tastes. It tastes like it's full of chemicals. I don't like it at all. And so I prefer the kind that's made on the stove. Um, and so my parents and my mom, I can remember, you know, when we'd make popcorn growing up, she'd put like the popcorn and the oil in a big Dutch oven and she would sit there and shake it back and forth on the burner. And you'd hear the all along as finally the popcorn got to be made. And so a whirly pop is a same type of thing. It used the pan of that you put on the burner, and it's just got a little handle that spins a little um, lever inside there that continually stirs your popcorn to keep it from sticking. And so the Whirly Pop is the best 20 bucks I've ever spent. My Whirly Pop looks like it's been through World War II, 
It uh, it's got dented and dings, and it's well used and well loved. But there's never a time that we have movie night at our house, and we bring out the projector, and we show a movie, and we invite friends over, and we make all kinds of gourmet popcorn that people don't say, oh, my God, that is the best popcorn I've ever eaten. So I make my popcorn with coconut oil, and I use uh, just different kinds of, you know, you can get different kinds of popcorn, the holus, and different varieties that make a different type of kernel. Some are smaller kernels and some are larger kernels. So make the popcorn, and then on top of the popcorn, you end up turning it into caramel corn. So you make the popcorn, and then you get the caramel going on the burner. Uh, caramel is a, it's easy to make once you figure it out, and sometimes you freak yourself out when you make caramel because you feel like you need to stir it, and that's the exact wrong thing you need to do. But anyway, so I found this great recipe. Um, I believe it was on Lazy, the Lazy Mom blog. It was, uh, it's caramel, no, it's no bake or no cooking caramel, caramel corn. And so essentially you make the caramel corn in the pan, or make the caramel in the pan, mix it with the popcorn, and then roll it out on like a, parchment paper and let it dry and then you just kind of uh, where it's stuck together you just break it up but it makes delicious delicious caramel corn well caramel corn is great and there's already people down at uh, Mallory Square who actually have the big popcorn machines and they sell popcorn and so that sort of thing so I'm not trying to get into their business but what I wanted to do is something different with it and um, I followed the whole molecular gastronomy uh, movement uh, more like an uh, amused observer at some of the things. And you see it on some of the Top Chef and the cooking duels shows on TV, these people that are very in tune with all the things you can do when they make little uh, balls that look like glass out of sugar and they use this, that, or the other, and they make crazy things. Well, what I have decided to do is I'm making my product called Cryopop, and I simply, once I get the caramel corn done, and I can make the caramel corn all ahead of time, is I simply, at the point in time somebody purchases it, I essentially put caramel corn into liquid nitrogen, which makes great smoke, <laughs> it makes a great show, and it freezes the caramel corn at a negative 200 and something degrees. It's a crazy, crazy number. So it freezes it really, really, really at a low temperature. And then by the time you serve it, so you put it, essentially, you put the caramel corn in the bowl, you pour some liquid nitrogen in, you stir it up, let it boil out, and uh, it boils at like a negative 200 and something degrees. So it's it's all freezing, even though it's boiling. And um, makes smoke, smoke's coming out of the bowl, and then you put it in the serving dish, and it's still smoking and uh, got vapors coming all from it. And as people eat it, then they can also... When it mixes with your breath, it makes the, the the smoke and the vapors come out your nose and your your mouth. So it's really kind of a cool experience. And what it does is it gives people something that they've never, ever experienced before. And that's what I wanted. I want something that people are going to experience um, down at Mallory Square that they've never experienced before. And they And, and really that they can't without a lot of work, replicate on their own. It's difficult to get liquid nitrogen. Um, you have to have certain types of containers and tanks to get it, and those tanks are extremely expensive, and then you have to handle it in a certain way and take certain care. So it's not something that the average you know, home chef and home kitchen is going to have. And so uh, from that aspect, I really like um, the thought of doing that. So that is what my product is. That is what I've gotten approved. 
and that is what I will be selling. Now, I haven't started selling it right now. I, like I said, I, my uh, food cart is being rebuilt. I drive into Key West. I live about 30 miles outside of Key West. And so I drive into Key West and tow the food cart every single day. And because of all the rotten wood on it, it just became more and more rickety. And so I had a uh, friend who's a carpenter, and he has done some beautiful work. And it's not quite done yet. I we keep working on it and working on it. Uh, but he's essentially rebuilt my food cart into sort of like a replica conch house type thing. And it's cool. We have the, it has a cover on it now, so I don't have to worry about rain. And we had to, you know, in uh, places like uh, Charleston and Key West and all those places where you have the lots of porch and balcony areas, um, you always end up painting the ceilings of those porches blue because you've got to keep the haints away or the evil spirits. And it also keeps wasps and other things away. They think it's the sky, so they don't build up in there. And so we painted all that, and I've got it, you know, painted bright yellow, and it's going to be it's going to be really nice when it's, when it's done. It's going to be done in just a few days. And so um, with that, I have got some very, very exciting things that I'm doing to try to market Cryopop and to try to build a brand. Um, starting out as a Key West original. And so I'm going to tell you all about that in the next episode of my story. And as we get further and further along, we'll get we'll get you caught up uh, on with where we are. I've crammed three months worth of trials and tribulations and, and mistakes and errors and miscalculations into three episodes. So I think I did pretty good on that. And so this is uh, to the point where I'm getting ready to launch Cryopop and... Um, I think this is going to be it. I think this is going to be something that I can depend on. Um, I know a lot of it depends on me. I can't just roll down there and uh, got to do a lot to create an experience and to create something that will catch people's attention. And so, you know, I want to give someone a good value and a good experience for the amount of money that they're spending. Um, and I want them to enjoy and have a great time with my product. And so um, I've got a lot that I want to do with it. And so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. And also maybe, you know, you guys probably have some feedback. Many of you have gone through branding and you've gone through my trials and, and miscalculations and that sort of thing on your own before. Um, and I can't tell you right now that this is a complete success and I have a great business model and all that because I don't know. It's We're not there yet. But by this weekend, hopefully I will be uh, down at Mallory Square selling and we'll be able to make some adjustments and figure out what we need to do to um, really ensure that we get what we need out of this product. So that's what my product is. I've got, um, I'll share with you my actual marketing strategy and the things that I'm going to be doing. I will say to you that once you, um, and just recently in my life, I've started reaching out to um, other business owners and mastermind groups and uh, networking uh, groups and that sort of thing. And so I'm working on building relationships and getting other ideas for what I'm trying to do. But, uh, you know, you can take control of your life, and that's the message I want. It is scary. I will tell you right now, I am the most scared I have ever been. Um, I desperately need to have an income coming in because I'm looking at almost four months now with virtually zero dollars coming in, and not just no dollars coming in in my normal expenses, but no dollars coming in, and then having to pay out an extra five, six, seven thousand dollars to get this business up and running, and so. Um, it's a very, very scary time, but I also have the trust and the confidence to know that I have made the right decisions, and I'm a hard enough worker, 
and I at least have uh, average intelligence enough to actually make this work and to be responsible for my own income and to, to never again need the golden handcuffs. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to create um, the life that I want in the place that I want um, under the terms that I want. And so um, I appreciate you coming along with me on my journey. I appreciate you not blasting me because I've made every rookie mistake in the book. And I probably will have more to make. If there's some that I haven't made yet, just hang on because I'm sure I'll get to them. Um, and so uh, anything you have for me, any feedback you have, I would love to have it. You can find us on Facebook. We're at uh, facebook.com forward slash brick and mortar reporter podcast. I'm also on Twitter at BAM reporter on Twitter. You can also email me, Christy at brick and mortar reporter.com. And my name is spelled C H R I S T Y at brick and mortar reporter.com. So shoot me an email. Um, Find us on the website, uh, brickandmortarreporter.com. Leave a comment there. You can get in touch with me just tons of ways. Give me any feedback you have, and I appreciate you coming along on my journey. Um, even if it's just for your own entertainment, just to laugh at me and my uh, lack of uh, business acumen and uh, as I struggle to make it on my own. But I know that out of it, I'm going to be able to tell a story of me changing my life and doing what I want to do. Um, in the place I want to do it. So quitting your job and moving to Key West is not for everyone, but now that I've made the decision and I've done it, the hard part is behind me, and I just need to keep pressing forward. So thank you for coming along on the journey with me. I will tell you in the next episode um, all the cool things that I'm wanting to do and also hopefully maybe get some of your ideas on some things that I could do for marketing my new product, Cryopop. So thanks for coming along with the journey with me and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So whenever you have the opportunity, choose local.